Welcome to episode 7 of a Women's World Cup Home Companion on Backheel.com, the final episode of our series from across Canada. We are one more time in Vancouver on Jackpool Plaza outside the Fox Soccer set. We await the arrival of the team which on Sunday night won the World Cup across town from here at BC Place, which on Sunday night put a third star on its jersey and which you will be able to hear, certainly, in the background when they arrive because there will be an awful lot of noise. And that team, much to the dismay of my two guests on the show today, is, wait for it, that's right, the United States of America. And I say that it is to the dismay of my two guests, both of whom I think you know fairly well, Daniel Squizzato and Michael McCall of CanadianSoccerNews.com. Of course, you can follow Michael at AFTN Canada. And Daniel at Daniel Squizzato, S-Q-U-I-Z-Z-A-T-O. I'm on four hours of sleep, but I think I can spell gentlemen. Good morning. Thank you very much for the hospitality in your fine province over the last few days. It's good to see you. Good to see you as well, Jonathan. Not uh, necessarily where I wanted to be on this day at this time of the morning, surrounded by squealing American fans, kind of rubbing a bit of salt into the wound. But uh, good to be speaking to you here nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, and again, same with me. I think you're trolling us, bringing us down here this morning, but we're, it'll be fun. Well, the main reason why we're here is that in the, after this, the Fox show that's going to be taping shortly, there's a press conference availability with the U.S. players. So I wanted to make sure that I was somewhere that I could get to it quickly. <laughs> um, we're going to review the final and the third place game. I will have Michael review the final because Dan doesn't want to talk about the United States. No. And I will have Dan review the third place game because Michael doesn't want to talk about England. So, we'll go in reverse order this time. We will start on Sunday with the final. Michael, all of us from the States were waiting for that kind of performance. Waiting to see the the U.S. impose itself on a game. Waiting to see them, more importantly than anything, play with a free spirit. Play loose. Be happy. Which they haven't been the whole time. And finally, they they took to that field... Even if they didn't want to say that revenge was a factor against Japan for four years ago, you knew it was on their minds. And they came out and they said, the hell with this, we're going to go win this thing. Yeah, I mean, Joe Ellis got her her game plan to perfection. Attacking Japan straight from the goal. I mean, you saw Japan throughout the tournament. They weren't going to score a lot of goals. They only scored one goal against Ecuador, who who were whipping. I know it's still a beast side that they put out, but you expect them to score more. So the, the key was always to get an early lead. And the way that America went out in those first five, six minutes, grabbing the two goals, there, were, there was no way back for Japan after that. I mean, the final was over, really, after that. I'm going to ask Dan one question about the U.S., mm-hmm. and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for asking it, but I asked it when I was in Montreal of Kevin Laramie and Phil Germain, so I'd like to ask you, too. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people in the U.S. who want to see Canada succeed on the field and off the field, and we'll talk about the off-the-field stuff later. I would argue that for as disliked as the American players are in Canada, for John Herdman's team to take the next step, they need to develop the mental strength that the Americans have. Not an unreasonable point. Uh, I feel as though the psychological element for the Canadian team has been a big, uh, a big issue ever since Herdman took over, ever since the aftermath of the 2011 World Cup where we finished in dead last. And, uh, and I th- yeah, obviously for any team to have that high-level success, you're going to need that degree of, uh, of mental toughness. Um, what I thought as... Well, well, the there's uh, agreeing with yeah, you there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just seeing my 
my hero Abby Wambach on the screen. Great, great. great and I, I know that she's me. disliked. But sometimes, in order to win, and I'll cite probably the, the most famous Canadian athlete known to Americans, Sidney Crosby, who's hated. Sometimes you have to be hated. Oh, I thought you were going to mention a different Sydney, but but uh, but in any event, I mean, if there's one silver lining for Canadians to to, to take out of this, just going in a bit of a different direction, uh, is, is that one would imagine that a game like that, with record American audiences watching it, it was obviously an exciting game for anyone watching, especially American fans. Um, one would perhaps hope that that would translate into greater success. Uh, or at least prolonged success for the NWSL, which at the moment is a league upon which the Canadian system is heavily relying to, to, to give its players spots to play. So if we're to take a silver lining as Canadians from this result, I would say that would, that would definitely be one. And Mark Weber wrote it in the province uh, on Sunday ahead of the game. If you want to see women's soccer flourish in Canada, you sort of have to bite your tongue a little bit and, and swallow your pride and hope that the U.S. wins the thing. Because it does increase the exposure here, and it does bring some of the money back, and it might just, I know a lot of people are hoping, if the NWSL can get on some solid footing, it might just spur the Whitecaps to get a team in there. Well, see, that, that's the thing for me. It's like the pressure apparently seems to be on the Whitecaps to have this team, and I don't know why the onus is on the Whitecaps to put forward that team. They spend a lot of money in Canadian soccer as it is. They've got their MLS team. They've got their USL team. The money that they put in their residency that has them travelling all over the US is a great deal of money. I just don't see why the onus should be on the Whitecaps to pony up that money. If the CSA and other big people in Canada want to see an NWSL team in Vancouver, which I think the players would want to be here, it's, it's not the Whitecaps that should put that money up. Somebody else should put that money up, and the Whitecaps can help run it. I think I know the answer to that question. It is the same answer that is offered increasingly in markets across Major League Soccer where fans want to see uh, NWSL teams. They are the known entity, and they have the knowledge of soccer operations, and you want to consolidate the front offices and the media relations and the ticket sales and stuff like that as much as possible. So people are looking to the MLS teams to be that foundation that I do agree with but at the same time as well I still think even with the success of the the World Cup in Canada with the crowds that we've pulled in here I don't know that the market is there to sustain a team for a whole season the travel costs from Vancouver are going to be huge because they're going to have to get connecting flights for one thing also I don't know that the support is there when the Whitecaps had their, their last women's team a couple of years ago they they did it wrong. They moved it. It was like a travelling road show. They played all over the lower mainland. And they were drawing crowds of just over a 1,000. But if you look at the USL team that the Whitecaps have put out this year, a lot of top talent there, a lot of MLS fringe guys, and they, they're just getting like 1,200, 1,300 fans to that. That is not making them any money. And I just don't know that they feel it's going to be worth putting that extra money into an NWSL team until they've got some of their other things making money for them. In terms of exposure, in terms of a country in which a World Cup run can really grow things, not just Canada, but let's talk about England. Um, What they did this year has the potential to catapult the game in that country, especially in the context of the Women's League and the big English clubs that are backing it and the BBC's putting a lot of money into it now on resources, there's an opportunity there to finally break down some of those barriers after 
a really stirring win in the third place game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that in Canada, the narrative in the aftermath of the team's performance has been the way in which the Canadian squad ostensibly inspired a nation and it was this performance that would get the next generation of, of young girls playing the game the reality in Canada is that there are already more young girls playing soccer than playing hockey I mean getting young girls into the game in Canada is not something that this World Cup needed uh, to serve as an impetus for um, you know changing the perception of the women's team in Canada the World Cup was not necessarily needed for that I, I don't think that in Canada there exists the same um, perception, perhaps, of of the women's team or of the women's game as you might see in other places in the world. I, I, I refer uh, to some of the coverage that uh, that made the rounds virally coming out of England in, in reference to this tournament, even as the tournament was ongoing. Uh, and this is not across the board, of course, but there, you know, there was a level of, let's say, dismissiveness that I don't think you would necessarily see in in Canada or or in the United States. And so I think that England, not just winning third place, but winning it in the way they did, the number of parallels between that and, and Canada's Olympic run in, in 2012, uh, just a, a solid, hardworking, likable team uh, that, that got a uh, you know, very unfortunate result in the semifinals and then a, a, a dramatic late win in, in, uh, in the third place game. Uh, if that can mean stronger investment in the game in England, a stronger investment in the women's league, where there are a couple of Canadians and Americans playing, uh, that bodes well for the women's game uh, across the world uh, in, in, in a general sense as well. Michael, the headline coming out of that game, England go out of World Cup on penalty, except they won. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I have to say that like before the tournament started, I did actually tip England to beat Canada at the quarterfinal stage. And a lot of what's happened with that English team, it hasn't, it hasn't even come out of the Olympics. It's not so much the legacy from that. It's, they've had a lot of investment put in at grassroots level and establishing a very, very solid... Uh, Premier League and growing up in England well grow, growing up in Scotland I didn't grow up in England <laughs> I was about to say wait a minute what have you been hiding from us growing up in the UK um, I know for a fact that, that the women's game was not taken seriously over there I left in 2007 and in the lead up to that you never saw any coverage now the BBC do a weekly highlight show they, their coverage during the Women's World Cup was absolutely phenomenal and just they've invested in the teams and that's what if Canada want that success they have to invest in teams they have to invest in some kind of semi-professional Canadian league which I I don't think would really get off the ground but you could maybe do it provincial and then have the provincial teams meeting but some of the big shows when I was growing up they, they were very dismissive of the women's game there was a show called Soccer AM and they always used to show highlights of the women's cup final in one corner and then in the other corner, they would have something that was more entertaining. So they would have, like, a monkey playing tennis or different things like that. And that attitude is still there amongst a lot of the men at the top of television. You said the magic word, investment. And now we're going to talk about investment in the Canadian game because something happened on Friday that I really, in particular, want to bring up with the two of you. At the tournament closing press conference, uh, Victor Mattagliani and Peter Matopoli of the Canadian Soccer Association were there. And I asked Victor a question that's been on my mind for a while, which is, okay, you've got the buzz, you've got the attention, you've got the spotlight. 
how do you now take that and go out and get the one thing that a lot of people out there believe the Canadian Soccer Association needs more than anything else, and that is big-time commercial sponsorship revenue. Even if not quite to the level of the U.S. and Mexican federations, I think everybody knows that corporate Canada is holding back. It has been for a long time, and you can look to the United States and see plenty of examples of corporate America investing to spark and start and generate instead of coming in once the ball is already moving. So I asked Victor and Peter the question, and here was Victor's answer. Um, I will read from my transcript on, the blog, on my blog. I think one of the things that is very important when you have an opportunity to put on an event of this nature and an event as successful as this one has been is the momentum is not about the next event, although you might have your eye on the next event regardless of which one that is. I think it's very important for us as a federation to now look internally and do a lot of the little things right as we have started to do, whether it be in the government's areas or the player development areas. And those are the building blocks that sustain your success for these kinds of events. And they sustain excellence, whether it be your national teams being excellent, whether it be running the federation in the way that attracts sponsors. All those kinds of things, I think, are very important for us in the next sort of quadrennial to make sure that we continue this momentum. That doesn't exclude, you know, our intent to maybe look at other events in the future, whether it be confederation events or whether it be other FIFA events, but I think for us it's to take care of your own house. And I think we started doing that even before this Women's World Cup, and I think we need to accelerate that because I think by doing that you can leverage the success of a tournament like this. Daniel, with all due respect to a guy who might soon be the head of CONCACAF, he ducked my question and I wasn't happy about it. Well, I think that in order uh, for folks hearing what 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 uh, Montaliani said uh, to just to 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 know what some of the context underpinning it might be uh, if you look at tournaments such as the 94 men's World Cup in the US or the 99 women's World Cup in the US there were natural jumping off points for the country in both of those cases to further leverage the success of those tournaments be it the start of MLS in 1996 uh, or, or the WUSA coming out of the Women's World Cup. In Canada, uh, unfortunately at this moment, the idea of a national women's league or even a national men's league is not something that's immediately viable. And it's been one of the great missing links in Canadian soccer for, uh, for time immemorial, it seems. Uh, in terms of what he's saying on, on the back end of things, um, what folks should know and understand is that in the last several years with uh, Montaliani as president of the CSA and Montopoli as its general secretary, there has been a significant uptick in the level of corporate sponsorship for the CSA and for its teams. I know that coming into this tournament in particular, uh, the, the organizers did fall short of their sponsorship goals. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they wanted six marquee sponsors uh, uh, global partners and I think they got three of those so it, it, it hasn't been um, a perfect performance by any means but I think what he is referring to in terms of uh, getting their own house in order is that the CSA at the highest levels has been for a long time fairly dysfunctional and it's only in recent years that the board of directors has actually been fully uh, professionalized in that there are people with corporate backgrounds, business backgrounds, they're at the highest levels and not simply 
people who were literally just volunteers from provincial associations. And so when he talks about some of that, um, I think that uh, by by having a successful tournament off the field uh, and, and by doing some of the things that the CSA has done in recent years in terms of reform, they can show corporate sponsors, hey, look, we're for real, we're professional, we're serious, this is something worth investing in. That doesn't mean getting a Canadian league off the ground immediately, but as you said, Jonathan, uh, you need that underpinning corporate support. And whether that support comes from uh, investments from uh, business partners, whether it comes from investments from the MLS or NASL clubs who, you know, could potentially partner with, with uh, or, or start women's teams of their own. Uh, but in, in, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's of course a businessman's answer uh, and, and it's a diplomatic answer given by Montaliani, but, uh, but I definitely think that it's no secret that uh, the CSA wanted to use this tournament to to showcase its 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 own status and also to potentially make itself uh, a, a player in in bids for future FIFA tournaments as well. We're going to get into the bids for future FIFA tournaments in a moment because I have a thought or two about that, as you guys know. <laughs> um, Michael, I am a very liberal left. Um, not the most pro-business person in the history of mankind. I think people have probably figured out that about me by now. However, I know a thing or two about how to make a sales pitch. And if I am Victor Montagliani and Peter Montopoli, and I go to Rona, and I go to Tim Hortons, and I go to Shoppers Drug Mart, for example, which are three major Canadian brands that I can think of off the top of my head that do not... I've been in this country for a month, Daniel. I've started <laughs> to figure out where point. things are. Um, I look, I, look, the three big brands that sponsor the CSA right now are Bell, BMO, and Canadian Tire. Tim Hortons claims to support soccer, but it does not to the level, I think we would all agree, that the other three do. I go, I'm Victor, I'm Peter. I go to the big brands in Canada, and I say, look, we drew for our biggest game of the tournament, a larger crowd than any of those American games. And all them and all the they came over and spent all that money and filled all the stadiums. We, oops, I just dropped my bottle of water, excuse me. Natural sound here on the show. Uh, we drew a bigger crowd than any of them. Give us money. Easier said than done when a report came out at the weekend that Canada is in danger of going into recession. So when you've got that environment, businesses are not as willing to, to throw money at things. You also have the thing as well, which everyone's talking about Canadian soccer just now, and especially the women's game. A year from now, are people going to be talking about it? You had people writing about the women's game that have never written about the women's game before. I, my knowledge of the women's game is not great. I have written about it, though, in the past. But you've got other people all of a sudden becoming experts and really criticising things on the women's game in Canada, and they, they don't know anything about it. What the most telling thing for me was, and I kind of raised this with Victor at the opening press conference, is Canada have hosted a World Cup despite not having one professional women's club in the country. And I can't think of any other World Cup, senior World Cup, men or women, that's been held in a country that doesn't even have a domestic league. I can. C- Qatar has I can. a domestic league. So I know one. What one? 1999. Did America... I see, I don't know my knowledge back then. So there was no... But was there no professional women's teams back then? No. Nope. Oh, I mean, it came as a result of that. 
And I think the idea is that maybe now, be it an entity in Vancouver or Toronto or who knows what, that maybe a, the money will come along to invest in the NWSL. But let's take it, Daniel, outside of just the women's game. Because the men, too, are growing. The MLS academies are finally stocking the Canadian men's national team with some real talent that's going to go into the Gold Cup now and try to make a run, and maybe that'll carry the momentum even further. We talked about showing demand, proving demand. The television ratings for the Women's World Cup, the attendances and all that, proved demand in the moment. As was raised a moment ago, where's it going to be a year from now? Yeah, I think that saying in the moment is the important part there. Uh, you look at, and this is, um, you know, I, 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 won't name, I won't name names in this case, but you, you, you've seen uh, teams that can draw massive crowds for one-off games, uh, uh, big showcase games, and then struggle to retain that, that interest and that attention on an ongoing basis. And so while it's terrific that you got... Uh, you know, 40-some 40, 40 thousand in Edmonton, 40-some thousand in Montreal, 50-some thousand in, in Vancouver for these World Cup games featuring the Canadian team, is there going to be that sustained interest? And uh, unfortunately, I don't necessarily know that there is because as Michael just referred to, you have uh, coverage of the game that was brought in, you know, uh, uh, general general writers, general columnists covering this because it was a big event. But will we see that coverage on an ongoing basis? Will people continue to even realize that the women's national team exists? I mean, do do people in in Toronto and in Hamilton and in Southern Ontario realize that the women's national team, a, albeit a younger version of it, is going to be playing in, in a matter of days, in, in July, in, in the Pan American Games. I don't know necessarily that, that a lot of people do, but if folks want to see the team continue to play, that would be the chance to do it. Um, you bring in the example of the men's game as well, and I mean, the, the, the reality is that the level of uh, coverage and knowledge of, of the men's national team is such that we just had a, a, a World Cup qualifier played not on some obscure Caribbean island or not in some faraway place or a public park in Austria, being played at BMO Field in Toronto without Canadian television coverage. And, and that was, it was a matter of timing, it was a matter of uh, uh, a contract situation with the CSA and with Sportsnet, and hopefully that will be an anomaly. But I mean, I, I it, it, for, if that's the situation there, you know, it, it's all about. Uh, unfortunately, it's all about results. It's about sustaining those ongoing results. Uh, it's about can the women's team take the momentum from this World Cup and have another uh, uh, successful performance at next year's Olympics? Can the men's team continue its recent run of form, do well in the Gold Cup, do well in World Cup qualifying? Uh, because in Canada, as I mentioned uh, uh, earlier on the show, we have massive interest in the sport of soccer. Soccer, in terms of youth enrollment, is the most popular sport in the country far and away. Hundreds of thousands more kids play soccer than play hockey, which is supposedly our national sport. And that gap is just growing every year. We see massive television audiences for, for the Premier League, for, for the Champions League, uh, for World Cups. So it's not a matter of do Canadians care about soccer, because indisputably we do. It's about making that connection between 
children playing the game and adults who follow the global game and translating that into people following the men's and women's national teams on an ongoing basis. And unfortunately, I think the only thing that will make that connection concrete and solid over the long term is these teams going out and having reliable, sustainable success on the field. But without the underpinning support from from the grassroots level, can that be done? It's, it's, it's an unfortunate chicken and egg scenario, kind of. I have a couple of other suggestions for entities that might help to build that connection. Luke Weilman, Jason DeVos, James Duthie, and Caroline. And the reason why I say that is because I have some reason to believe that the, uh, the CSA's television deal with Rogers is in the middle of being severed and that things will be resolved with a certain other major sports television network called TSN uh, in due course. Uh, and hopefully there will not be too many more games not on television. Now, when I was asking Victor the question that I asked him, I, I did, and people can see this if they go back and watch the YouTube video of the press conference, I put it in the context of the CSA's desire to launch a men's league. It is known your colleague Dwayne Rollins has reported extensively on the fact that the CSA conducted negotiations with Traffic Sports, which attempted to disguise itself as the North American Soccer League, um, for the purpose of joining with the Canadian Football League and creating a league of teams that would play in CFL stadiums. The president of Traffic Sports is now going to jail in the United States, indicted on racketeering and wire fraud and various other felony charges. The Canadian Soccer Association has gone running away as fast as it possibly can from a partnership which I would argue it probably ought to take responsibility for instead of running away from. But regardless, if I am Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, and I'm glad I'm not in a lot of ways, but I would call my dear friend, Victor Montagliani, and say to him, okay, you want a league? We can help you. And here's how we're going to help you. We're going to open an office in Toronto. We are going to find a way to fudge the labor laws so that we can count Canadian players as domestics on American MLS teams without the Jamaican and Costa Rican and Honduran federations coming after us. We're going to do those two things. In exchange, here is what we would like from you. We would like Soccer United Marketing to handle the marketing for this Canadian league, and we would like a 10% equity stake in it. How much of a bargain is that? Well, I can tell, Jonathan, that you've put a lot of thought into this. Into this, uh, I've put a lot of thought into traffic sports, that's for sure. In, 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 into this business proposal of yours. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I think what's telling about this idea is that the idea that you have, in addition to the, the idea that, uh, that uh, you made reference to uh, as it relates to, to the NASL, is that in both cases there is that heavy involvement from an American league, from an, from American entities, and um, and and it you know the case could be made that given everything we've already said about the um, relative disinterest from corporate Canada uh, and and perhaps the relative dearth of uh, deep pocketed investors in Canada willing to. Uh, throw up money to, to, to fund professional teams. I mean, you look at um, some of the some of the people that have underwritten MLS teams for a long time, and they you know they for many years 
lost money hand over fist to make the teams viable. You spoke earlier about uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps women's team uh, and what used to be and the potential of bringing that back in. It's important for folks to, to know and to remember that Greg Kerfoot, who's one of the owners of, of the Whitecaps, um, he essentially bankrolled the Canadian women's national team for for the better part of a decade and a half. Um, are there enough Greg Kerfoots in in Canada willing to take those kind of risks and make those kind of investments? I, I, I don't know, but I know that <clears throat> in addition to some of these high-level ideas that, that the CSA is potentially investigating, um, you've also got other uh, leagues coming up from the grassroots level that the CSA is, is investing in as well. You look at uh, League One in Ontario, PLSQ in Quebec, uh, the potential of a similar high-performance league out here in BC. Those semi-professional environments where players can bridge that gap from playing at the youth levels uh, to hopefully playing at the professional level. A, a guy like Kyle Laren, who is on his way to potentially winning Rookie of the Year in MLS and was the number one overall draft pick, spent a good part of, of last season playing in League One Ontario for a, for a team with his, with his local academy. So I think that, you know, there's, there's never going to be a silver bullet, and I think that uh, it's to the CSA's credit that they are uh, looking at, at, at different possibilities and, and, and different options in terms of moving the game forward. Michael, if... As we seem to agree, in the present tense, the infrastructure is not there. The ability to finance the whole kit and caboodle is not there. Um, and I would imagine that a, any potential Canadian league would have to have as something close to a title sponsor an airline. Um, and you have an entity in Soccer United Marketing that does now have a proven track record of knowing what it's doing and staying out of federal indictments in the U.S., all things considered. What do you make of that bargain that I propose? It's a, it's a tough one. First thing I have to mention as well, the labor laws that you mentioned don't exist, for starters. Every other professional American league manages to have Canadians as domestic. It's been said that that is not such a thing. So, that aside... Squizzato is <laughs> gesturing 30 million ways. All I'm saying is to get the Canadians to have it be in a way that won't have the Jamaican and Honduran and every other federation coming down, you know, knocking down the door of Major League Soccer saying we want equal treatment. That's my only point. Yeah. Well, like, the big thing as well, whether it's men's game, whether it's women's game, there's a kind of whole chicken and egg scenario. Are there enough quality players to sustain a high number of Canadian teams at men and women's level? If there's not, how do you get those amount of quality players without them having a league to play in? You've got the NWSL. Canada had 16 spots that they could fill. And they couldn't even fill that at the moment, although part of it was because the Canadian women were resident in Vancouver in the build-up to this World Cup. So it's difficult. People will come out and watch the top-level games in Canada, and that's men and women. And I don't think that without people coming out to watch like a, a Canadian league, whether that's, again, a men or women, if the people are not going to come out and watch it, if there's not going to be TV deals there that's going to sustain it, then you're not going to get corporate business putting money in. Now, if MLS wanted to pitch that offer, there's still a lot of... I don't want to say hatred, but there's a lot of resentment... Oh, I know. ...that Canadians that... play in American leagues. Now, to me, I don't care, because I'm not Canadian. I just want to see top-quality teams. You've also got the situation as well, like, just going back a little bit. If... If they wanted a women's team, NWSL, in Vancouver, 
where are they going to play? Because they can't really play at BC Place because the Whitecaps are there sharing... It's too big. It with, yeah, well, also they're sharing it with the CFL Lions. They could play double headers or standalone games with the USL team. That's at Thunderbird Stadium, and they're not drawing the crowds there because it's in the middle of nowhere. So they would have to look at an outlying area, which I won't go into because folk listening to this won't have a clue what I'm talking about. There are some stadiums in the outlying areas of Vancouver. You've got Swan Guard, Percy Perry. But if they did things like that... I just don't know that they're going to pull the, the crowds out without massive advertising investment. And the World Cup, although it's been a success here, it was a slow sell initially. It's really only, like in Vancouver in particular, we're really bad here. We buy tickets at the last minute for things. The walk-up sales that the Whitecaps get is kind of f- phenomenal. People don't commit early. And I think that you would have trouble, male, female, just sustaining a Canadian league and getting investment on the back of that. We got to wrap it in a minute so that we can go uh, get into this U.S. press conference. I'll just say this, Dan: they watch major major junior hockey in this country by the millions. They do, and that's a byproduct of heavy investment and a heavy marketing push over a number of years by by broadcasters to make it into a marquee product. We've seen TSN, one of the two big broadcasting. Uh, sports broadcasting companies in this country turn the, the the World Junior Hockey Championships into a marquee product through a sustained marketing push over the course of many years. We've seen them do the same thing with the Canadian Football League, which was in financial trouble in the mid-90s. The CFL has made it into a marquee product. Uh, we see them currently... Uh, putting a lot of a push into MLS because uh, TSN is no longer going to have NHL uh, rights from from this year forward. So they are now looking into alternate products to push. The CFL is one of those, and I think that MLS and and Canadian soccer could also be one of those. Uh, If if the CSA and TSN can come to some kind of broadcasting deal, and you know, perhaps it might have been a bit of a clue when the women's team's final friendly before the World Cup was broadcast on TSN, even though ostensibly at the time Sportsnet still had the Canadian soccer broadcast contract. So uh, I think that if if they if Canadian soccer can can get the same sort of push from from a broadcaster uh, as TSN has shown they can do in the past, then then we might be on to something. More than a clue. I'm pretty sure it was a statement of much more than a clue, in fact. Absolutely. One thing as well which American listeners might not also understand is soccer in Canada gets bumped regularly from the major channels. It gets bumped for curling. If curling overruns, an MLS game will start late. CFL, it has kind of the run of the show as well. NASCAR bumps the MLS games. So it's all to do with how many people are tuning in. Yes, they've tuned in for the World Cup. It's top-level soccer. Canadians will always watch top-level games. I just don't think the demand is there for... uh, Unless they get a dirt-cheap deal, basically they can broadcast it free of charge or something, then that's the only way you're going to see it. we got to go. Um, guys, this has been great. Thank you very much. I'll say this one thing very quickly. ESPN and Fox and Univision and NBC prior to that all saw potential in Major League Soccer. And each of them in turn over the years went to MLS and said, you give us what we want and we will help you. And for a long time, Major League Soccer's owners didn't do that because they wanted to put their own priorities first. In the current right cycle that just started this year, ESPN and Fox and Univision said, 
give us what we want. And oh, by the way, here's $720 million. And we will not put all of this programming around your games anymore that knocks you off and this, that, and the other 30 million things. And finally, MLS listened. Bell's contract with MLS expires at the end of 2016. I think that they know they're going to re-up. I think that Major League Soccer knows that they're going to re-up. And I think everybody up here should hope that Bell ends up writing a big check because it sees what ESPN and Fox and Univision have done, and they do the same. Guys, thanks again, and we're going to take a break and come back in a moment. I should note, by the way, that uh, scenario I laid out about Major League Soccer helping to get a Canadian league off the ground, completely my imagination. Nothing real. I'm not trying to report anything or, or start any rumors or whatever. It's an idea that I came up with completely on my own, didn't even talk to anybody else about it. I just drew it up in my own mind. So please consider that. Don't go around saying that I'm reporting things. It's just, uh, just something that I came up with off the top of my head. Welcome back to Episode 7 of a Women's World Cup Home Companion on Backheel.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News. And a quick reminder that you can read all of my reporting from throughout the World Cup at Philly.com slash World Cup. As I record this segment, I'm perched at one of my favorite places in Vancouver, the False Creek Ferry Dock on Granville Island. Got a great uh, sweeping vista view of the condos on the water, which are, of course, absurdly expensive, and all the boats, which are also absurdly expensive. Uh, The bridges are lovely. The water is lovely. The weather is lovely, especially when the air is not full of smoke and haze. And you got here on the island lots of great places to eat. If you're ever in town, do check it out. It's a wonderful place to spend a couple of hours. Uh, Earlier, uh, a few hours before recording this segment, I was across town, the other body of water here in Vancouver, Burrard Inlet. Jackpool Plaza, of course, right above it, where the Fox set was uh, with Daniel Squizato and Michael McCall of Canadian Soccer News. And after I chatted with them, it was time for one last meeting with the U.S. women's soccer team. Here are some audio clips from over at the Mix Zone, uh, starting with U.S. coach Jill Ellis, who, of course, took a lot of heat and criticism during this tournament. Uh, And a lot of it, I think, was fair. But as my good friend, who you all know well, Aaron Stoller, pointed out on Twitter, uh, all of us who were criticizing Ellis now have to admit that we were wrong because she won the World Cup and that is the way the world works. And so I join the chorus of those who are admitting we were wrong. And so here's a few minutes with Jill Ellis as she reflects on having won it all here in Vancouver. With a player like, say, Abby, who's been obviously everything she's done, what, what, what goes into your head when you're making that choice? about whether she would be in the Olympic picture or not. Well, I think that's a conversation her and I have. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, on the field, off the field, I mean, she's been remarkable. Um, so, I, yeah, that's too soon to talk about, yeah. but I think that's a conversation we'll have down the line. But there is a transition coming, a big transition. Ten players, 30 are over on this team. For sure. I mean, you know, I think it's, um, you know, this group is remarkable. And the amazing thing about this this group is is their ability to stay physically in the game. I mean, Christy Rampone, it's just it's remarkable. So, you know, again, always what will guide me is picking the best players that I think can help us win. Um, but, you know, beyond that, yes, you're certainly looking at an investment in the next World Cup. You talk a lot about one-on-one conversations. One-on-ones, did you, did you have a during the course of the tournament? What are roles going to be game by game? I mean, honestly, from day one when I got hired, Abby said to me, whatever you need from me, I'll deliver. And, and for a coach, that's the best thing in the world to hear from, you know, from one of your best players. So she made it so easy. Honestly, she made it easy. She's been a class act the whole way. 
um, contributed on and off the field. We've had a lot of text messages, a lot of sit-downs, and just, you know, just conversations. And I know she's always had my back, and she knows I always have her best interests at heart, and um, it's been a really great relationship. What's important with that? Can I ask her a quick question really quick? If I were to ask you your nationality, what would it be? English or American? American? 100%. Okay, hold on, because if you were English, you would be the first foreign manager to ever win a World Cup. So you want to be English now? No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're American. My I love you. Fire me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's definitely looking at the landscape, looking at what we need, conversations with players, knowing what holes you're going to have to fill. fill um, you know, and and but I do feel like this World Cup has given us an investment in the future. I mean, we've had. You know, 50% of this team is, is new and, and, and they're young and they're still hungry and they've had this amazing experience to help fuel them. Obviously, was in the picture before and as well as she's playing now. So yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Crystal was on the cusp and, and you know, it was a really hard decision. But, um, you know, I know we got a lot of quality out there and, and there's some players, you know, I, I, that maybe I haven't seen and I'll continue to look at the NWSL games and, and look at the youth teams and see what's out there. How has your life changed in the last 12, 14 hours? Whatever it's been. I mean, honestly, it hasn't. I mean, I crashed, I crashed in bed, went, went to bed with my, my little kid, and uh, it hasn't honestly sunk in. It really hasn't. I think it's just you're just on this media thing and doing all this, and at some point it'll sink in. Yeah, for sure. Bring your dad along next time. Oh, I will, but then, then you will talk to him for hours. I know, I did the other day. <laughs> oh, yes, I can't imagine. <laughs> so for those players for whom this might be their last big run, be it Abby Christie, Shannon Box, what does it mean to send them out with a World Cup winner's medal specifically? Um, it was one of the priorities for me. I mean, as much as you want this for your country and you want this for these players, um, those women have given so much, and to send them off with a World Cup, um, I mean, I get emotional thinking about it because that was a big, big part. I want their legacy. They've done so much for the game, and now to leave their mark and people talk about them, and this generation now has their next set of heroes. I mean, you know, I always say you kind of put your seatbelt on. It's a roller coaster. you got to just put your seatbelt on and go for the ride. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I try and keep very calm. It's part of what I try and do. But, um, I mean, an immense emotional, just ecstatic. I was just thrilled. Now here's Carly Lloyd, the hero of the final, with that stunning hat trick that was part of the four-goal explosion in the game's first 16 minutes. Uh, what a performance. Of course, she won the golden ball. Uh, as the most outstanding player in the tournament. And uh, as she noted, she is not done yet. You were in a bit of a zone yesterday. What did it feel like? It was great. I, I came here. We, we all came here. We wanted to win the World Cup. Um, everything we did prior to that didn't matter. It was, it was all about that game. And we were all super, super focused, ready to go. I knew I was ready to go. And uh, to score... Three goals in the first 16 minutes is is pretty unbelievable. I'm I'm really proud of every single player on this team, uh, the coaching staff, our support staff, everybody. What does this win mean to women's soccer in this country moving forward? I think it's huge. I think that you know we've got our NWSL around, and it's uh, you know on its third and pivotal year, and we want to continue to see that grow. And I think that you know what we did here uh, is just going to help inspire other people 
the word is about soccer, women's soccer. Uh, the coverage has been unbelievable. So all around, it's uh, a win-win for everybody. How did you all celebrate last night? It was a whirlwind. We had friends and family in town. Everybody had, uh, you know, we... U.S. Soccer put together a friends and family thing after the game, and we all met up with everybody and had fun, celebrated, danced, uh, enjoyed ourselves. Has last night sunk in yet? Scoot just down a little bit here. Uh, I don't know that it's entirely sunk in yet. It's it's been crazy. I mean, I just am overloaded with text messages and um, you know Facebook stuff. It's just been surreal. It's been an unbelievable moment. Super proud of every single one of the players on the team, coaching staff, support staff. We had a, a mission. We came here to win it. Um, we did everything it took. We were, you know, great with the game plan. We stuck together. We believed in one another, and that's what it was all about. And I think we had our, our best best game in the final. I heard a rumor that one member of your family defied orders and came out here even though you didn't want them to. Is that true? Yeah, four of them. I had uh, <laughs> some cousins, aunt, and a friend. So they... They respected my, my wishes. They didn't tell me until after the game. Um, my fiancé was coming, and then he wasn't coming and thought that we wouldn't get married if he showed up. So <laughs> are any of them here? decided to stay home. Uh, I don't think they are. No, they're, I don't know, hanging around. Curly, this is kind of maybe a dumb question, but I presume you, you're going through the Olympics, right? You're going you're gonna to stick with it through the Olympics at least. Oh, right? absolutely, yeah i got to collect as many medals as I can. Right? Are, you, are you looking to maybe even the next walk? I know it's early, but would you would you at this point be looking for the next World Cup as well? Do you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got to get another star on that Curry, jersey as well. Yesterday morning you were one of the you were a great soccer player today you're kind of the most famous athlete in america you talk about not allowing that the, the wind to uh, sink in how does that feel knowing that you're on the front page of every newspaper you're on every newscast you're going to be on the cover of sports illustrated um what, what do you think about i mean have you allowed yourself to think about that at all not really i mean i know that it's it's all great and uh you know i credit all my hard work um you know i i've just just been grinding away day and day um but at the same time there's still room for improvement there's still bigger and better things that I can accomplish and uh at the end of the day I'm gonna have to ride this wave for a short time and then come back down to earth again and wait for the uh Olympic cycle you know your life has changed yeah I think it's definitely (laughs) gone to another level I'm not sure I'm ready for that but uh it's great you've always used this sort of perceived slights to motivate yourself now that that as Kevin just said you are the you know you're the probably the most popular soccer player in America maybe today the most famous athlete in America at this point do you think that are you concerned at all that would affect your motivation uh, going forward or not no because uh I think there there will be more um Maybe more goals scored in the next World Cup and um, another World Cup added to that. But I think my trainer and I, James and I, have continued to, to break barriers, have continued to set the bar even higher. And I know that when I come back, start training with him again, he'll tell me what's the next, next task. You heard Carly talking there about her fiancé, Brian Hollins, and you sort of joke about threatening to call off the marriage. She did say the marriage will happen. It will be in November of 2016 after the Olympics. Uh, now we move on to the birthday girl, Megan Rapino, who turned 30 on Sunday and threw herself quite a party. 
So how has your life changed in the last 14 hours or so? <laughs> yeah, I'm one star heavier, one year older. <laughs> That's about it. Is it uh, you, uh, clearly you've imagined this probably from the time you were a little kid. Is it as good as you imagined it would be? Is it better? It's better, I think. Um, it, I can't even explain. I mean, we've, I mean, of course, all the hard work and everything for it to actually you know, culminate into this and be able to share it with this group that uh, we spend so much time together with. It's just incredible. Julie Johnston was the Americans' breakout star in this World Cup, and selfishly for me, she was a great story because her boyfriend is Philadelphia Eagles tight end Zach Ertz. And uh, this clip starts with her talking a little bit about that. What did it mean to you to have Zach here? Um, it was it was huge. I think anytime it's a journey for them, as much as it is for us, for having them have to see what, what it takes for us and us being away. And to be able to celebrate it with your family and your friends um, means more than anything. Have you been able to put into perspective these nine months of how drastically things have changed now yeah it was actually last night um when i got to see my family we kind of like talked about it all um it's i think six months ago you probably wouldn't have said um this is where i would be right now but to be here i think makes it even more special kind of the journey that i had to take to kind of get here i mean think about you know what this defense as a whole has done through this tournament you know Yes, but at the end of the day, I'm not surprised because those three, Becky, Clean, and Kriegs, are so good. They're the best in the world. They do that every day in practice, and for me to be able to play with them is not shocking to me that, that that's kind of what the outcome um, of the back line was. Any crazy celebration stories that you can share, I guess? You know, just a, just a lot of smiles, a lot of screaming, a lot of dancing. About it. <laughs> Finally, among the players here is Christy Rampone, the last active member of that 1999 World Cup winning squad, talking about what this bookend to her incredible career means for her. Oh, it's, it's everything. You know, this is what you dream of, you know, when you play the, the sport of, of winning a World Cup. Um, it doesn't get any better, especially being so close to home with, you know, so many people supporting us and, you know, adding that, that third star. It's, it means a lot, and I think, you know, the generation, you know, to come is, is going to be completely amazing. I think this team has what it takes to win, you know, a lot more. And for Abby in particular, what is her legacy now? Oh, I mean, she's done it all. You know, she's just an incredible, exceptional person, friend, teammate, um, a leader. You know, she, she can now go out on top. We did not hear from Abby Wambach on Monday, at least not in the mix zone, somewhat surprisingly. She was on TV plenty, of course. Uh, but we did get to meet her mother, Judy, and her father, Pete, and it was a lot of fun listening to them talk about uh, what it meant uh, to see their daughter's great triumph. What do you think about whether Abby would attend to go to the Olympics or not? What do you, what's your impression? Do you think she'll try to give another shot, or is this the way to go out? Well, because we have so much fun doing this, I would hope that she would, but she has always said they have to want her to. So it all depends on the circumstances at the time, if she's healthy and if they want her. There's a lot of young, beautifully talented women behind her now that can take the reins and and be successful. This is something, and I've said it before, this is a dream come true for her. And as a mom, you love to see your children uh, have dreams. And to dream big, you tell them that all the time. And then when they achieve the dream of a lifetime, 
it's it's over the moon wonderful what would it be like if to stop going to soccer games after all these years? I have we got, have, we got we have, 22 grandkids. We have <laughs> 22 grandchildren that, that play soccer and lacrosse and what have you. So we d- we won't be stopping. missing stopping it anyway. Yes. Yeah, you said, said it's fun watching these games. It's obviously fun when it's four goals up within a f- yes. first 15, 16 minutes. But in the more tense games, what's it like as a parent watching your daughter? Trying it's to get the most there. stressful thing I've ever gone through. I go in, I start stressing out in the morning of the game, and by the time I'm at the stadium, I'm a mess. So, so as soon as we can at least score one goal, it makes it easier to live through. But some of those games have been real nail biters. She said about you the other day no. at this press conference Friday. She said. She said, I'm not saying this because uh, I'm frustrated that I'm not playing. I'm saying it because it's taking years off my life on the bench. She says, now I know how my parents feel. <laughs> she meant it, too. She meant it, too. She said the same thing to me. I remember that. It was, And now I, and I said to her, you know, now you know what it's like to sit there patiently and whatever. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you very much. I did manage to snag one more guest before leaving Jackpool Plaza. Rob Stone, who you all know very well as the studio host of Fox's World Cup coverage and, of course, so many other things in American soccer over the years. Our final guest on a Women's World Cup home companion, the biggest one of all, even as we're here uh, at Jackpool Plaza with all the stars from the U.S. Women's National Team around us. I guarantee you the biggest guest of all is Rob Stone. It's not me. It's not me. Not by a long shot. Here, here is Rob, who has done such a wonderful job hosting over the last month setting the tone for the coverage on Fox that has won so many plaudits from folks back home and even from folks here in Canada who've been able to watch the broadcasts uh, on the over-the-air network that have been on, on TV up here. Congratulations. I know it's been a ton of work. Uh, and 25.4 million viewers last night. What a reward. Yeah, I mean, a, sh- a shocking number. Uh, I think we all thought we had a chance to maybe become the second most watched soccer game in English television history here in America, but to surpass the 99 final and with those type of numbers. And I'm not a number geek, and your listeners, viewers don't care about numbers. That's kind of boring, but it's amazing. And it goes to show uh, what this team and what the sport has achieved and can continue to achieve. I mean, that's a huge number. I mean, I, I don't think people in the soccer industry thought that 99 number really could ever be broken. And here it is, and, and not even in the host nation. One of the reasons why, I mean, everybody loves a winner, obviously. Absolutely. You know, everybody loves having games on in prime time. But these players are stars. True, honest to goodness, transcending of soccer, almost indeed transcending of sport, stars. And they spent a lot of time working towards this. And the Olympic gold medals were all well and good, but this is the one they really won. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing about the women's game is that uh, the Olympics are definitely second fiddle to the Women's World Cup, and, uh, you know, they've, they've stepped out of that, that 99 shadow. You know, it's a big shadow that those 99ers have cast for 16-plus years, and a well-deserved shadow, but, you know, it's now the 15ers that we can talk about, and uh, wonderful personalities. Um, you know, I, I love that there's these great legendary figures on the team and also some exciting youth and some storylines, some drama. Um, you know, this is like a this is like a lifetime miniseries of all the little twists and turns that this team can provide and you and you want to watch them and you want to cheer for them and uh, you, you want your kids to to be like most of them to be honest and I've said throughout the series and I know that you feel the same way all the buzz and the hype and the trash talk and all the stuff like that and people say 
oh, it's nothing more than hot air, but it's good for the women's game. And it's not just good yeah. from a television ratings perspective. It's good because it, it, we've spent this whole month treating this tournament like any other soccer tournament. You guys, the fans, everybody. Yeah, I mean, we just said it's a Women's World Cup, but there was no other difference in it. Um, I think they brought in a ton of new fans. I mean, I know in my household alone, you know, my two young boys were here for two and a half weeks with my wife and, and their sisters, and they watched. And like I said a while ago, they, they don't see male or female on the field. They just see soccer, and they see heroes, and they see players that they want to emulate. And uh, that's part of this this tipping point here in America of this, we are now a soccer culture. We are a soccer nation. We're a World Cup nation. Uh, we are all in. And, man, Russia's, Russia's right around the corner now, just three years away for the men to, to kind of take over this mantle. Well, you and I have some business to attend to first at the end of this month. Yeah. In my backyard, I will be very happy to not have to get on a plane. <laughs> I only have to get on a subway train and go down to Lincoln Financial Gold Field Cup, for the baby. Gold Cup Gold final. Cup starts tomorrow. I mean, we're on a flight home to start preparing for a doubleheader. Uh, that's coming our way on, on Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 on Tuesday. And it's another big tournament. And, and I think the Gold Cup, not to go off on a tangent, is very similar. We've been going off on tangents yeah, all through the show. Don't worry life. about it. Um, it. It's a growing enterprise like this Women's World Cup. You know, I, I think in the past not a lot of people knew what the Gold Cup was. Soccer can be confusing. So many tournaments and what's going on here in a nation? Is it a club? And I have to do a lot of explaining. But the Gold Cup is now this entity that's got a lot more value to it and a lot more prestige and people know what it means. You don't have to totally explain it to them. And for the U.S. men's national team, carries high value. And, and I love the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann has said since January 1st, this is our priority for the calendar year. So the summer of soccer just keeps on going, man. This sport does not take a vacation. And it comes at a point in time when CONCACAF needs a bit of something to boy, go right. Boy, do they ever. Everybody outside of the women's game needs something to go right right now. And people are already kind of moving on from all that FIFA noise that happened in in late May, and uh, you know the women's national team and this women's World Cup did a, a big part in it. You know, it's the purity of the game. There's there's not this diving, there's not this physicality, there's not all of this negative side to the game. It's just this purity and athleticism and enjoyment. I wish you had been in in the gym, in the proverbial gym yesterday in DC Place, uh, when the Americans in the house booed the daylights out of Issa Hayatu as he was walking onto the stage. That was pretty fun. <laughs> But it shows you the growth, right? You know, it, and it goes to your point that it's, it's a World Cup. You know, it's, it's maybe Women's World Cup in name only, but it's a World Cup, and people everywhere treat it like such. Rob, thank you for your time. Everybody knows the amount of work for a long time that you put in over the years to grow in this game, and it's a, it's a great reward for you. My reward is talking to you, Jonathan. <laughs> thank you, sir. So that's it for this series of a Women's World Cup Home Companion podcasts. Thanks so much to the producer, Trevor Hayward, uh, who was in charge of getting them all online, and, of course, to Jason Davis, the host of Soccer Morning, for helping to promote them. I'm headed back to Philadelphia to return to real life, and as I mentioned to Rob, to get ready for the city to host the CONCACAF Gold Cup final at the end of the month, which will be a lot of fun. As for this World Cup, it's been a wonderful ride. It's been great fun to be able to tell the stories of this United States team, and it's just beyond all expectations enthusiastic colorful noisy horde of fans that have made every game a joy throughout the summer even when the team wasn't playing well just the atmosphere really was special and i hope that all of you who are listening who were there you've seen what i've written about my own experiences in the past you've heard what i've said on soccer morning i hope you understand how much it means to me and so many of us who have been involved with the women's game 
for a long time. And as I've said repeatedly on Soccer Morning and on these podcasts, it is also so rewarding to see women's soccer get treated just as soccer by the media and the public. Nothing more, nothing less. Thanks so much to all of you for listening, and thanks to the many guests who have been on the show. Jeff Kasuf of NBC Sports especially, and not just because he was on twice. He really is one of the best women's soccer journalists out there, and he's an even better person. J.P. Della Camera and Kat Whitehill of Fox Sports, who were on in Winnipeg to help set the stage for the Americans' run in the tournament, and to think back then what we didn't know and what we know now. Stephanie Yang of SB Nation, who joined me and Jeff in Vancouver for the last game of the group stage. Stephen Sander of Sportsnet and the 11.ca, and Thomas Floyd of Goal.com, and open wide for some soccer, of course, uh, who were in Edmonton for the round of 16. In Ottawa, Caitlin Murray of The Guardian, among many other outlets. In Montreal, my dear friends, Kevin Laramay of the Two Solitudes podcast and the Five Rings podcast and the Off the Woodworks podcast and on and on and on and on. He even uh, has a baseball show now called 216 Stitches, uh, which is a reference, of course, to how baseball gets made. Uh, he keeps expanding his empire, and he's, he's uh, really good at it, too. And also Philippe Germain and Pierre Maillot. Uh, it was great to be back together with some of my old Soccer Plus colleagues. And before the final here in Vancouver, Simon Fudge of Goal.com and Harjeet Johal of Equalizer Soccer. Then here on this wrap-up show, one more time in Vancouver, Daniel Squizzato and Michael McCall. So that's it from me, finally, Jonathan Tannenwald of Philly.com. At uh, the goalkeeper, of course, on Twitter. Be sure to check out Backheel.com if you missed any episodes of the show. And I'll soon be compiling an index of them on my blog on Philly.com as well. I really, really appreciate all of you who've sent along so many kind words as I've been traveling across Canada. Now it's time for me to go home. So one last time from here in Vancouver, I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News, and thanks for listening to a Women's World Cup Home Companion.